Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads. This is the Secret Library Podcast. And I can't believe it, but we are at season nine. My guest today is Laura Sims. She is the author of the critically acclaimed novel Looker, now in development for television with E1 and Emily Mortimer's King Bee Productions. An award-winning poet, Sims has published four poetry collections. Her essays and poems have appeared in The New Republic, Boston Review, Conjunctions, Electric Lit, Gulf Coast, and more. She and her family live in New Jersey, where she works part-time as a reference librarian and hosts the library's lecture series. Her work as a librarian inspired her latest novel out this year, entitled, How Can I Help You?, and is the topic of our conversation today. Of course, I could not resist a conversation about a murder mystery that involves librarians. This is like catnip to me. There was absolutely no way I was not gonna have Laura on, but it is such a clever and nuanced book which makes us look at the tricky truths or the secrets of being a writer and the things that maybe make us squirm a bit. It is a delight to speak with both a librarian and a novelist about her experience putting this book together, sharing it, researching it, and the entire process of putting this book out. I am delighted to introduce Laura Sims. Hey, Laura, thanks so much for coming on the show. Hello, it's wonderful to be here. I could not resist a mystery thriller with librarians. Yes. I know. I couldn't resist writing it. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm curious because you've got you've got a, a sort of thinking she's helping, but with a bit of a, a, a death urge, former mm-hmm. nurse who's now a librarian. And then you've got a really kind of twisted writer who's also a librarian. Neither of them intended to be this at the beginning of her life and and here they are in Carlisle facing off and I'm wondering which one of them came to you first oh that's a great question Margot came first okay Margot came first she was inspired she's partly inspired by Jane Toppin who was a serial killer nurse in the 1800s And I learned about her from the Criminal podcast. They did this amazing episode about Jolly Jane. They called her Jolly Jane because she was cheerful and efficient, just like Margot is, but she was doing very bad things. And so she was the original, original person. She's also partly inspired by Charles Cullen, that more recent serial. 
But yeah, she was the voice that I started with. And then I think at some point, and I don't remember this process very clearly, but I know at some point I felt like I needed another perspective, another voice to kind of give it depth, give it layered in. Um, And I landed on this, yeah, frustrated novelist. Very, you know, easy for any writer, I think, to identify with, you know, a frustrated writer who has had rejections and is struggling to overcome them, um, sort of, except that she puts writing on the back burner for a while. She tries. She tries. She cannot hate <laughs> who she is any more than Margot can. I know. As a writer, how did it feel to write Patricia? Because you don't necessarily, I mean, some people have this very romantic notion of being in a in a cabin with a torn sweater, having this very <laughs> peaceful relationship with the world as the writing image. And that is not who Patricia is. No, not at all. Not at all. In much the same way, I think that people have this romantic notion of what a library is and what librarians <laughs> are, right? With the, you know, little reading glasses and the cardigan shushing people. But Patricia is definitely not that kind of writer trope. She does not satisfy those aspects of the writer trope. Um, And she's, I hope she's realistic. I mean, I identify with her very much and with both her urge like to do it and her, her resistance to it and her frustration and her, her willingness to be like, I'm done. I'm done. I'm going to do something else. And, but failing, of course. Yes. Yeah, she has a former book she's written, which she locks in a drawer at one point. And I love this image, the fact that she locks the thing in the drawer, but but it's still there. It's still sitting there. Burn it or recycle it. She can't bear to do that. Yeah, but she she holds on to it, but locks it away. Yeah. So as Patricia came into the writing process, I loved the the sort of benefit of the point of view approach you took of switching between two first person narrators and not just showing us different scenes or different moments with these two point of view characters, but instead allowing us to see multiple moments from both characters' point of view. Was that your plan from the beginning? It was. Yeah, it was. I wanted, because I'm just mainly interested in the psychology of my characters, I wanted people to see, I wanted readers to experience those same moments, but through these very different lenses and, and everything is about perspective, right? So I wanted to, to revisit those, some of those moments. I think it answers in a really clever way, this problem with the unreliable narrator because we know from the beginning that Margot's sense of reality is warped we maybe don't know that patricia's is quite as much from the beginning but it 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 shifts as she gets sucked in exactly yeah and so we know that the the eye that they're sharing and the facts that they're telling us that are so clearly what the world is about are distorted and yet i feel like we can find that between the two points of view that they present back and forth. 
Yes, absolutely. You find it somewhere in the middle. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely. I love that. I love the idea of that, 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 that there is this balance in between the two voices where you can find what actually happened, maybe. What actually well, I think happened. we're always wondering what actually happened in fiction, yeah. particularly with thriller. I mean, that's the first thing that we want to know. What happens? What, right. How does it end up? What happens? Right, right, right. And this kind of delays that, which I I like. I like slowing down that momentum for a while and letting people wonder, feel the tension, but wonder like, okay, what what's really happening? And then the other part that was really interesting is that you delay, but you do give us some of the character's backstory and what led to who they are. In particular with Margot, we get some of her early, early life over time. Yes. And I'm wondering how that came to you. Was that, was she all there from the beginning or did you have to peel back the layers to learn who Margot was? She was mostly all there. And again, I did draw a little bit on Jane Toppin's actual history for some of it. I'm really resistant to explaining my characters. <laughs> I, know, I know that this is what people expect in thrillers is like for the bad guy to be explained. But I personally hate that when I read <gasps> Yeah. Yes. You get it. Especially when you get to the end of this wonderful book and then the last 20 pages are an explanation of oh, God. who they are, why exactly they did it, how they did it. And then I just, I think it just ruins it. So I like, I, I actually do more of that in this book than I did in Looker. I don't explain my character there at all to many readers' frustration and anger. <laughs> but um, but Margot. I felt like just giving these little tastes was enough and it satisfied me. And my editor did push me to do like one or two more of those little tidbits. And I was fine with that, but I didn't want to be like, okay, this is why she is the way she is, because I just don't believe that. I don't think that people's background necessarily explains who they are, why they do the things they do, at least not entirely. So I don't like to draw those lines, but it was fun to have these little glimpses that might explain her a bit. Well, I think we ask for that as readers because we want to feel comfortable. Right. It's like we want us to have this clear reason why Margot has done these things and why we are safe and cozy and we would never be in this situation. Right. And yet we're pre- presented with Patricia, who right. the listeners of this show will very much relate to. And it's it's right. not as it's not as comfortable. Right. She's she's a normal, quote unquote, normal person, right? She's a writer. I, know, I, I think writer, this is yeah. the thing though, because having worked on mystery and murder, I've been at a dinner party with a bunch of writers and we're all you know, joyfully coming up ways you can bump people off. And <laughs> at one point we said, I really wonder uh, what the people at the next table are thinking. Because um, we're like, oh, you could shove them right off that boat and get them in the propeller. Like it was not, it wasn't just like, oh, put some poison in their tea. We were getting into. Gruesome. I love it. <laughs> and I think that 
it just makes me laugh when people think about writers and they say, oh, how can you deal with those horrible characters? And you have to say, well, part of me is those horrible characters. Exactly. And part of you too is, you also is, buddy. <laughs> so how do you, how do you skirt that line? Like, how do you, do you just hide that aspect from people when you talk about writing? Or I feel like you're letting the cat out of the bag a little bit I, with Patricia. Yeah, I let it out of the bag. I do. I, I really believe that writer or not, that most, if not all of us have that capacity to do very terrible things. I mean, human history supports this theory. <laughs> so it's fun for me. Like, I don't like the lines that we place as a society between, you know, bad people and good people and how we, yes, stand back and are like, oh, I would never do something like that. I like playing with the ambiguity and Patricia allows me to do that because yes, we don't expect her, but her, her, her drive to write really compels her to become more transgressive as the book goes on. And, and that's exciting to me. I mean, Margot was my original love for this book and I, I loved writing her, but as Patricia progressed, I enjoyed her more than Margot. So it was interesting. I didn't expect that at all. She's like a slow burn. She is. Patricia. Um, yeah, she is. <laughs> I think this is, the, but this is the thing. I was, I was talking at one point with, um, I believe it was part of the couple that writes Lars Kepler. Okay. Who are, they're Swedish and they yeah. write crime together. And I said, how come Sweden is such a progressive society has such you know, humanitarian policies and you have like the most dark and twisted True. crime fiction going. And they said, well, we feel safe so we can explore our darker sides. Oh. Yes, that is part of it, right? I think that's so important because then we also think of, I don't know if you ever heard the Invisibilia episode. There was one about a man who was just paralyzed by having these visions come into his mind that he might, like the things that we all have, like, oh, what if I bumped into my husband when I was cooking with this knife? Or what if, you know, oh, you know, what if the cat accidentally jumped out the window when I was beating the rug or those kinds of things? These are, right. these are mine, obviously. But he would have these and thought it meant that he was more likely to do this than other people. And he got so paralyzed and shut down by it. Interesting. That's really interesting. Yes. I can see that. Yeah, I'm really interested too in the line between, and this is a Margot Patricia question because Margot is self-described doer, right? Mm -hmm. And she does a lot of things. And Patricia is a writer. She lives in her mind. And so I'm interested in the line between someone who has ideation for a lot of things and imagines doing things. And then what is, what is it that pushes someone into actually doing those things? Like what, what creates that? I feel like I'm exploring that a lot in almost everything I write. Like, what is the, what is it that makes someone act in the real world versus and, and what's the line between, yeah, thinking about it and doing it because yeah. 
Patricia says repeatedly, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just writing. She's just writing. I'm just writing. Yeah. And, (laughs) and yet we think about, you know, people can be inspired by writing. Where is responsibility? What does this mean? And it's so fascinating. Yes. And I kind of wanted to question, to get into a little bit of those ethics of writing, because I am writing a book about a serial killer. <laughs> so it's a little meta there. Um, and, and I have responsibility, like, so questioning Patricia, making her a bit monstrous helps me like process what I'm doing too. Like not letting myself off the hook, basically. And setting the whole thing in such a quintessentially wholesome location. Like if this could happen in the library, you know, these aren't a bunch of loan sharks or, you know, (laughs) like, you know, Shylarks or whatever. It's, it's, it's a very wholesome people go into this profession to help people much like nursing. So it's this... It's also this question of what is helping people? What does that look like? Right. Yes, it is. Yeah. And can you be helpful and also be hurtful at the same time, which Margot is? And yes, you can. She is a good librarian. She was a good nurse, but uh, she was helping people, but she was also harming them. So that's interesting to me too, especially thinking about it from a woman's perspective, you know, those roles are are almost always librarian, nurse. Those are women's roles from time immemorial. And so to kind of play with those, I mean, Margot's actions are transgressive in a way, right? They It's what drew me to the story of Jane Toppin originally is thinking about this woman who's in this traditional caretaking role. She's doing it well. And she's killing her patients too. So she is just kind of pushing back against the borders of this role that women are supposed to to take in some way. Yeah, it's, I mean, there's so many ways to play with this is to look at, you know, what are female characters allowed to do? What are female humans allowed to do? What are they in these roles allowed to do? And looking at what if they didn't do it. Right, right. Or what if they did it and then did the exact opposite at the same time? (laughs) It's hard to call Margot a feminist icon, but... Right. (laughs) (laughs) But we look at like Bonnie and Clyde and we look at figures that stepped out of those roles and it's very uncomfortable because we're like on the one hand I get it and on the other hand right. we're like I don't really want to meet you when you're in that mood oh, no I don't want to cheer you on but it's really interesting what you're doing yes <laughs> yeah does writing these characters make you nervous to go to the library now <laughs> No, not really. <laughs> I mean, I work there. So, right. Uh, you know, I'm very comfortable there. I, I'm not too worried about encountering a Margot, although you never know. You really don't know. There's a whole spectrum of humanity in the libraries, as you know. Oh, yes. Very much yeah. so. Yeah. I know. How do your colleagues feel about the book? 
We're really excited. We're (laughs) we're excited. Um, We're having a, I'm having my book launch there tomorrow night. Oh, and so it's, it should be fun. They've been really supportive. Um, you know, they laugh and think I'm strange, but they also <laughs> have been enjoying it. You know, <laughs> I feel like libraries and bookshops and places like that are very accepting of yes. people with unusual talents and proclivities. That's true. <laughs> All we take, take everyone. We take everyone. <laughs> Did you, did you take any inspiration from real life experiences with your library patrons? Yes, absolutely. I wish you could see how vigorously she is nodding, dear (laughs) listeners. Yes, absolutely. I did. I was, when I, I got my master's degree in library science and never once did we have a discussion about the reality of what work in a public library looks like when you like the phone calls yes in the phone calls the weird phone calls you know I think people have this image of you as a reference librarian you know helping people with these deep research projects and sitting in a very secluded place no I am on the floor answering people's phone calls um, telling them what time their favorite TV show is on. That was one of my favorites. <laughs> telling them what the weather is like in Dubai, you know, helping people with the computers, the scanner, like there is a lot that I drew on um, for the book. Was with- it cathartic? It was, it was, cathartic. <laughs> it, was fun. it was really fun. Um, I started when I started working at my local library, I started, I couldn't resist. I was like taking notes of some of my interactions. And I knew I was like, this, this would, I've got to write about this somehow. Yeah. And it kind of merged with, with Margot. So I think that's the beautiful thing about weird experiences like that, or if they're frustrating or you feel like I thought I was going to help someone research, a, you know, a social treatise that was going to make <laughs> life better for everyone. Right, but at right. least in this way, you're like, I can use this experience, even yeah. if it's frustrating. Yes. We writers have to use everything. Right. And unlike Patricia, I was not dismayed by the difference between the, idea of what reference work would be and the reality I was delighted I <laughs> all of those weird interactions so much it's like an extra bonus it really is it really is well, I think it's like these moments where you're like oh character character yes. character oh there you go I'll have some of that I'll have some of that it's like yeah. a smorgasbord for you. No, And in fact, since I finished it, you know, whenever anything unusual happens, which happens every day I'm there, my colleagues are like, oh my God, you have to write a sequel. This isn't really a sequel type of book, You're but like, I don't know if it works that way, but, <laughs> but the, it is a rich, rich setting. But you could take those people. I mean, this is the thing is that you could take any of those people and be like, what are they doing in other parts of their lives? And suddenly a book, like what leads someone to behave that way in a library? 
Right. What what got them to this place um, where they they need the libraries so intensely and are asking such strange questions? I feel like, yeah, a library is this inherently an accepting place. Right. It is. And that there is. I loved that you included from Susan Orleans. Oh, um, library book, which is so good. And so good. So good. And yet there is kind of a nobility in the library that she talks about, even though there are so many weirdos who ran the Los Angeles library in there. Wow. That was astonishing. That was yes. But just that there's this sense of the safety. And so it's almost like you see people even more as themselves in a library than in other places, because they feel like I'm allowed to be me here. Yes. I think it's one of the last places where that is true. Like last public spaces for people. Yeah. They are just accepted. Their needs are met. You know, we don't kick people out very frequently. (laughs) Only extreme behavior. (laughs) So, So, So my last question, I want to have you had the experience of having someone check out one of your books while you are the librarian? Oh, yes. Do they know it's you? Um, Well, my it's funny because I do. My desk is across from the circulation desk. And recently, the the woman who works at the circulation desk, she runs the book club. And just a couple of weeks ago, she did Looker, my first novel. Uh the book club so there were a lot of people coming <laughs> and checking out and every time Nancy was there oh she's right over there she's right over there and there was there was a time when a woman came in and didn't know I was there and started talking you know very loudly about the book luckily she liked it she did oh good you're just like oh this could get weird a lot of people have intense reactions to look her but this one was she was like oh it was so suspenseful you know and then Nancy was like oh she's right over there She's like, thank God I liked it. I know, right? (laughs) So intense. Oh, that's so great. Yeah, yeah. Well, it has been such a treat to talk more about the process of writing this book and hearing the backstory. Yeah, thank you so much. Tired of ads interrupting your favorite show? Good news. Ad-free listening on Amazon Music is included with your Prime membership. Just head to amazon.com slash ad-free fitness to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Enjoy thousands of ACAST shows ad-free for Prime subscribers. Some shows may have ads.